I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about up against Amanda. <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Brian Connolly. And we're chomping at the bit <laughs> to talk about the maybe the film that the world is the most wrong about. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be. So... Uh, on this episode, we'll be joined by, or I will be joined, or we as a collective will be joined by my good friend Justin Freet, who introduced me to this film, and we talk at length about it. And then, uh, but Brian, you also have a unique connection to this film that yes. uh, that you were unaware of until I, I, I set you with the task of having to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a surprise. Let's let's wait till the end to give this. this let's let's talk about it at the end. I, I don't want to derail the conversation about Ooh, just okay. this movie first. Let's just let's do that uh, when they come in afterwards after your talk. Brian Connolly, master of suspense. <laughs> just okay. Well, that, now you got You really got to listen to the end of this. But first, you got to listen to this scene from Up Against Amanda. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. This is Richard Pierce. Hi, Richard. It's me. Me who? Amanda. You made love to me in your hot tub. Don't you recognize my voice? Um, hi, uh, can you hold on just a second? Hi, Amanda, uh, sorry about that. Sorry about everything, actually, um. What are you talking about? Well, you know, I mean, we both got a little drunk and and um, we were feeling a little lonely and I just... Don't you dare. Richard, I am not the kind of girl that you just screw around with and throw out like the family pussy. Whoa, 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 Amanda, that's not what I'm saying. Then what are you saying? I fell for you in a big way. I love you, Richard. Look, that's really very flattering. Hold on a minute. I don't remember hearing you make any complaints in the hot tub. Why'd you lock the door? Did I lock it? Like I'm going to start, you need anything? Maybe I should just tell your wife what happened and let the two of you sort it out. What are you talking to? A credit card company, just a, you know, big promotional deal. Ugh. I just hang up on them. You're way too nice. Mm. I'll see you later. Amanda. Amanda, are you still there? I'm always here for you, Richard. Look, why don't we meet somewhere? Let's let's just for lunch. Yeah, that's that's fine. Whatever you want. Oh, that's more like it. Up against Amanda 
is the Chinatown of shot-on-video erotic thrillers. A low-rent <laughs> miracle of a movie from writer-director Michael Ritzy, ostensibly cut from the same cinematic fabric that yielded hits like Fatal Attraction, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and Poison Ivy, this entree into the genre follows our anti-heroine, Amanda, from a sexually abusive childhood to her institutionalization and grooming as a sex slave by her corrupt psychiatrist, all in the opening minutes of the film. This sets up Amanda's murderous quest for freedom and her dangerous fixation on her neighbor, a mild-mannered rock critic married to an aspiring adult contemporary blues singer who gets wrapped up in Amanda's erotic web of intrigue. If this premise fails to inspire you, welcome to the club. I was similarly uninterested in the aforementioned blockbuster examples of the murderous vixen trope, but Up Against Amanda is way more than the sum of its admittedly meager parts. The cinematic mastery on display in this low-budget digital video production is both a challenge to better-funded directors who can't muster a shred of the invention this movie delivers in practically every frame, and a challenge to those who think that just because they don't have millions of dollars, they can't make a real movie. If you take your craft as seriously as Michael Ritzy and his team so obviously do, this film is proof that great cinema flows from the talent and commitment of its creators, regardless of the quality of the materials they have to work with. I owe my discovery of this gutter masterpiece to my friend and colleague, Justin Freet, who joins us now from Seattle, Washington, to discuss Up Against Amanda. Welcome to The World is Wrong, Justin. So, how is the world wrong about this film? Uh, well, first, Andras, it's great to be here with you on The World is Wrong podcast. Thanks for having me. I know that you live in a constant state of, of wonder at how wrong the world is is and can be around yeah. film so we are we are uh on the same page so often that we even sometimes make films the world is wrong about together yes indeed 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 i love it uh yeah the world is wrong so much i mean like what nine times out of ten it's wrong <laughs> it's very frustrating but it's nice to be the one that's right i like being i kind of like being one of the few that are right you know it's okay yeah that i'm it's an elitist perspective, I I suppose. Yeah, gutter but, gutter elitism. It's uh... gutter elitism, exquisite squalor. Yeah. So uh, up against Amanda. Yeah, man. Um, I uh, discovered this movie when uh, we were in the first months of the COVID, uh, the initial COVID uh, quarantine lockdown uh, last year, and it was on a uh, streaming service that also the world is wrong about extremely wrong i'd love to do a, a show with you about tubi just tubi yeah just tubi i mean yeah. it deserves it i mean it is to this i think a, a quite a few people discovered it during the the covid uh just because you're looking for something to watch and i mean i still hear it being kind of disparaged or or uh backhanded compliments about the amount of wild uh disparate content it has uh on the platform um and i think it's really underappreciated but i i don't want to digress too much up against amanda was something i fell upon and i 
I had this thing where I was look, look, I was like, look, man, you have nothing else going on. You're going to watch a movie. You have to commit to it. Whatever you click on, you have to commit to, because that's one of the things about streaming films is that you can stop and start them whenever you want. You can watch the first 30 minutes and then just never finish the movie ever, discard it. Uh, and I didn't want to be, I wanted to have the experience of forcing myself to watch a movie, even if once I got into it, I wasn't digging what was happening. And I think we've talked about my experience with Up Against Amanda. I think this is important to it. Is it was a it was a, a living experience. It was like it was from the moment I clicked on this movie, Up Against Amanda. I never heard of it. It was it looked like early '90s junk, just like you were talking about, like this woman scorned, like uh, Hand the Rocks the Cradle. I thought it was going to be like Hand the Rocks the Cradle or uh, the Crush. Right. Oh, what's your other 90s, 90s classics of like a hot woman, hot young woman that fixates on a guy or gal and uh, ruin basically makes their life hell. Um, and then it always goes to like the classics like Fatal Attraction and all that. Uh, but as I was starting this movie at the first couple minutes, I'm like, oh, God, this looks like. Just not. I'm not going to want to watch this. <laughs> and uh, and what it, it 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 when I say it was a it was a, it was like an organic living. It was like a living, breathing, experience movie. It was this movie that was was challenged was pulling me in almost like it was sentient. Like it was like when I was rejecting it. it it's like yeah. it knew that I was rejecting it, and then it was like pulling me in. It was a back and forth because uh, we talked about this before. The the opening title sequence, the opening titles aren't finished until I think minute like something like eight minutes into the movie, yeah. ten minutes into and, the movie. Yeah, yeah, and they're and, all very floaty, watery, yes. bad digital effects, like bad digital, like early the beginning 90s. of a porn film. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You guys remember video toasters? It was like it's like those kind of graphics, right? Uh, from the early '90s, yeah, and it, yeah, it goes on forever. But it tells you part of it tells you this huge. It's the equivalent of, I guess, a uh, sort of a yeah. It's a, like the cold open of the movie. Yeah, is during the credits, and it tells this whole story about Amanda leading up to where the rest of the movie is taking place uh, chronologically. And we we see Amanda when she's a little girl and she's being, you know, it's it's tough subject matter, technically. it's a, She's a little girl that's being abused by this awful, uh, I think, stepfather. And uh, something happens and she gets sent to um, a facility, like a hospital, a mental hospital, an orphanage. What I don't know what, exactly what it was, but she was institutionalized. And then she gets released, and and we we meet her, we see her uh, uh, the arbitration or whatever you call that, where you go up and you try to get her. You know, she's going to be released, and does she get to go back out into society with regular people? And we see all that, and we hear all of a sudden we get this voiceover. You know, you get the first five minutes. It's just these images that are, again, they pull you in, inspire yourself, and then you have. Now we have a voiceover. Now we have Amanda uh, addressing the audience directly, which is kind of can be a cop out. It immediately bonds you with the person that's doing the voiceover as an audience member. Right. But the way they do it, 
they, that was the right decision because throughout this film, uh, we, they establish, you establish this connection with Amanda early on with this eight minute credit sequence and the voiceover and seeing what she went through and, and the even shots those, and the way like there's oh, just the shots a style there's a style underneath this bad video credits i mean the bad video animation credits and the sort right. of whole video esque the whole video quality of everything there's you just kind of as you I, I love how you say it it's like it knows that it's bad, and so it's working extra hard to be great. It's right, like yeah. wink at you and say, hey, no, 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 no. We're, right, I, right. I know we're dressed like shit, but underneath this, there is there is genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's very, very true. And it is, it is the shots are great, and they're not... Um, and this is part of the, the, the experience of watching this movie is it takes you a while. I mean, it's not like... Within the first eight minutes, first first act, I wasn't still completely sold. No way. It, it went into yeah, but it kept surprising me, and it kept showing me that it had, like this director Michael. I say Michael Ricci, Michael Ricci. I will. I, I we. I found this uh, documentary footage, not documentary, like a, a news uh, program. Right. Right. An NBC, I think, news program did coverage of a film that he put out when he was 18 years old called mm -hmm. um, Teacher's Pet. No, 16 mm. years old. When he was, mm. so in 1981, he was 16 years old and he made a film called Teacher's Pet that got an actual release and then coverage by this NBC affiliate. And they pronounce his name Michael Ritzy. So. Yeah, this is a, yeah, it's okay, Michael Ritzy. And so this is 1981. This is so this guy was what, 16 in 1981. So this was early 80s. He was in high school and he did this uh yeah, he made his first feature film and, and they did the big they did the whole like you said they had the limo and pull up. And that's not even on his IMDb. I mean, I guess no. he doesn't consider it uh worthy. I went back and started watching his film Terror Eyes and it's got Everything that up against Amanda has. This guy has a really. He has a like it's also pretty bad, but it kind of has a like. Watching it, I was thinking, well, why doesn't he like Evil Dead is pretty bad in a right. lot of ways, and but there's the same quality, and you just feel like someone threw fuel on that fire the Evil Dead fire and not on uh, Michael Ritzy's fire. But it seems yeah. like there's there is the same kind of quality of... Enthusiasm. Wow, you're... Yeah, enthusiasm yeah. and just making something that is in some ways not worried about... It, it's In some ways it's not worried about how good it is and in other ways it is super concerned with how good it is. Right, well, that's the thing. So this is... Yeah, this is like when we say bad... This is not a so bad it's good movie. No. I want to make that clear. But we don't do that on this podcast. We don't right, do so exactly, bad it's good. Exactly. And when I pitched it to you initially back in the day, uh, after I'd seen this, and I I had seen yeah, I, I was like, this isn't a it, it's a low, it's a very low budget movie, but it's the kind of thing that in the 90s you would see like, yeah, straight to video for sure. 
maybe even playing on like the equivalent of the Lifetime channel or something like that. Like it, it felt like cable. There was enough of a budget that these are professional actors uh, and uh, they have a lot of sets. Or they, and maybe sets is the wrong word. They they get a good amount of coverage and they have a decent the coverage amount of, in it is, is phenomenal. Like the game, yes. you really know filmmaking so much of how this film works is in the editing, which Michael Ritzy edited it, edited yeah. it as well. It felt very intentional. It felt very much like he got all the, sh- yes. Like what you were saying about, about the, uh, the, sh- again, the shots earlier, they are, there isn't, a bunch of there isn't a lot of fat it's like it's very lean for being um for it doesn't insist upon itself <laughs> the 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 cinematography or the videography it's a it's shot on video mm-hmm. shot on uh, uh at the time would probably have been a professional video like i would almost say maybe like local news camera video camera quality but he knew how to light it oh that's the other thing it's lit you're right. I wish this guy got had gotten the access to gotten the chance to shoot this on film, you know, because yeah. he it, yeah, he shoots he the the camera angles, the 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 coverage, the blocking, the there is. I don't know if there's there's so few missteps in, in how he unfolds the story and the actors are great and. Uh, you know, just what uh, Jason Bateman's sister, I no, guess. No, not Jason Bateman. What are you kidding? What is it? Jason not Jason Priestley. Bateman. Jason. Wait, is it Luke Perry's sister, right? Come on, cut it out. It's oh, is Jason it Jason Priestley's sister? All right, they're all the same Justine guy. Okay. Priestley. And by the way, considering the that guy. we're talking about this film that she's in, which might be better than any movie that Jason Priestley has done, maybe oh, we should I would say, say yes on that. That. Yeah. Uh, that she she stands on her own to uh, very strong, sturdy legs, and we should just address her as who she is, the great Justine Priestley in this film. Again, Justine Priestley. Uh, she should, you know, uh, it's confusing because Justine Bateman and Jason yeah, there's Bateman that's a lo- that's an understandable glitch. I understand, that I said and I would love Jason to see. Bateman. I would love to see a movie right now. Starring with Justine Bateman, Justine Bateman, yeah, Justine Bateman yeah. and Just Justine Priestley standing on oh, their yeah. own, kicking uh, kicking their brothers' butts. So her, uh, yeah, exactly. She is a tour de force in this. She's so that's the that's what it is. She's a tour de force. She's so she carries this movie on her shoulders, on her on her delicate, you know, porcelain shoulders. Okay, okay. she's such a okay. she's a, she's okay. She's an attractive woman. Yes, of course. Yes, I she find, is. She I and she her wields her beauty as a weapon in this in this uh, film in ways that uh, she's the film so just, spunky. Yeah, and the and just the the way that the director, like you say, like the performances are great, but because they are because it's such a highly edited film. Yeah, it really is the director. I feel the director in the performances and like you're talking about the lighting, like you shot on video. There should be some embarrassing shots in just in terms of lighting in this, but it is so well, it is so well uh, rendered 
in every shot. I'm just wa I'm watching it while we're talking now, and just like indoor uh -huh. shots and outdoor shots during the days, and where shadows fall, mm -hmm. stuff you don't really think about unless it's off, and then it takes you right out of it. It's very atmospheric. It's very yeah. simple, but atmospheric correct. Like when she's in the hospital getting released, it feels like a cold and personal, you know, uh, conference room in a hospital or whatever, you know, where they're, the doctors are analyzing her. And when she's, when she's seducing our, um, our hapless male lead, I forget his name, the guy that looks kind of like a, uh, David Carradine and Tom Cruise got smushed together. What was that guy? What was the character's name? Uh, you know all this David stuff. DeWitt. That's David playing DeWitt. Richard Pierce. A, a great. He plays Richard Pierce. A great name for because yes. he's a piercing dick. But he 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 is he is a he is the most he is surprisingly sympathetic for somebody that fucks up. In that way that only these movies, you know, people, this movie, I want to clarify that the movie isn't, doesn't reinvent the genre in any way, no. shape or form. It's very boilerplate, but that's kind of why it, why it's so impressive because everything else, the acting is vivid and alive and vital Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people make, you know, make a, a, a meal out of their scenes, especially Justine Priestley. And then there's also the details, the things that the character Amanda does in her evil, in her very playfully evil, you know, <laughs> uh, master plan. I mean, she's so... She's so j joyful. You, for, I, I think we we talked about this. Yes. Want to make really clear, she is the technically the villain, but she is the main character. We follow her most of the time, and sure enough, I so much was Team Amanda. You know, I'm so much on her side. Yeah. Uh, without, and and it's very satisfying. It's a very satisfying, uh, story. Because even though it's so simple and boilerplate, it's like the crazy, the psycho hottie. Uh, she owns it and she's so, so always grinning, always having a good time. You know, whether she's poisoning, whether she's trying to poison a, a, a Pierce, what, Richard, Richard's girlfriend with what, like, his Drano? wife, his wife, Lori yeah, his wife, his wife, yeah. his wife with Drano. I mean, I mean, and also the comparison between the wife and the, and Amanda, I mean, there's no contest. I would choose Amanda in a second. Not, they're both very beautiful women, but Amanda's filled with joie de vivre and, and, uh, she's a very exciting woman. And yeah, Karen Grosso, or I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's her name. Karen Grosso is Lori Pierce is uh it's that is a, a a conflicted and confusing role and we can get into discussing yes. that a little bit but uh let's 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 stay with justine Priestley for the moment anyway justine Priestley, yeah she she carries the movie and the reason she carries it, it, it it's like almost effort, obviously there's a lot of effort being applied but it feels it's a, in a sense it's effortless because she's so the character is so entertaining that that's that's why she's able to carry it like it's just you just love this character and her dolls and her very 
um, functionally ingenious. Uh, she very, ever, this is another thing, you know, in movies like this where there's someone plotting and there's, and there's convenient misunderstandings and all this stuff that, you know, contrivances, you could say, that make the plot work and move ahead. Uh, Amanda is, she does things that are very, very smart. She, she gets it. She's a, she seems like a fully realized human being. She's nuts. She, you know, she's borderline personality disorder, at least. She's, uh, uh, she kills, she's a murderer. Uh, but she is functional. She's definitely a, a, a functional person and she, she gets it. Like she takes note of the video camera. She takes note of her, her plans. The dog. All have a, she takes the dog the... takes note of the dog. There's like everything. Spoiler alert. Has... Spoiler alert yeah. folks. If you, if you are, if you're troubled by the demise of canines, yeah. uh, you, oh, you may have there's... to choose between your love of Amanda and of that adorable dog, but Something right. sick, and both uh, Justin and I have can look past it and still still follow this woman into the into the the depths of hell that she is about to take uh, this whole block of people into. Right, which makes me you bringing up the dog makes me think about another thing that when I was watching it the first time, I mean, you know, for the, like I said, for the first like first act, I w I kept I was fighting my. I was pulling away and being pulled in at the same time. I was like, I don't want to watch was this. That the, so was like, that the, the the straw that broke the doggy's back when she, when they killed she killed the dog and you were like, no, okay, not at I'm all. In. That, I'm in. Uh, no, I think I was in when she killed the doctor. I mean, I yeah. I was in already. I was in. Look, I was in from the beginning. I was just I was in denial. Let's right. put it that way. I was in. I was already a sucker for this, for Amanda and for this movie pretty within the opening titles that go on for eight minutes right i was i was i was in it i was uh ride or die without knowing it i think yeah. but at that but yes about the point when she started uh taking people out and taking out and uh, the little dog and and you know once uh, she started getting going i was i had i had completely um signed up for the 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 ride and one of the things that was really impressive, and the dog thing makes me think of this, is I don't want to say meticulous because that feels like an overstatement, but the plotting when first of all, it was consistent. The movie's consistent. It it has a very steady hand in terms of the the story and how it's like you said, how it's edited, and there isn't it feels very assured uh, of the tone and the pacing and the things, the callbacks, the, uh, you know, Chekhov's, Chekhov's whatever, guns, yeah. dogs, doctors, dolls, all the things that you that are in there always pay off. And uh, and that's one of the one of one of the things I was so impressed with, because. Like you said, we love, we do love movies. I, I watch movies all, I, I, I just, I love them. I make them and you and I make them. And, and, uh, I, I am a little bit overly critical sometimes. Like I've been with my kid and we've been watching a movie or a TV show that's excellent, like Mr. Robot or something. And I can't help but like, 
notice things that are, even if they're just tropes that I think, oh, this this seems like something that this show could do without. It doesn't have to indulge in these tropes. It doesn't have to do this order. Up against Amanda, so I, I already, I kind of get in my own way sometimes enjoying certain movies and shows. But this was something where very early on, I realized I was in good hands and these people knew what they were doing. And the scene with the doctor uh, where she kills her doctor is so gnarly. Her torment, her tormenting, abusive. Oh, her attorney, her or doctor, no, doctor. attorney. No, it's the doctor. It's the doctor, it's okay. the doctor who is who like basically got her out of the institution so that he could set her up in as a sex this, slave, yeah. as a sex slave in this you know little hot, little house that she now uh, inhabits from yeah Titan real estate, which I just yeah think, it's 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 uh, perfect. She she gets the house. Yeah, I love it. The whole thing. He he gets the house from this old like senile woman yes. that he's another one of his patients. Gets her to sign the, the rights over to him. Then signs that uh, basically gives the house to Amanda so that he can keep her there as his little yeah his little like um, sex doll. Yeah, and he drugged has her up, doped up, sex drugged up. Yeah. Exactly. He's but not a good guy. That. He is. He's not a good guy. He, so when he gets, so like when you say she kills her doctor, it makes it sound like generally people have good associations with doctors. She totally <laughs> flips the script on this purely evil uh, dude. Yeah, and he's out of his so, depths. He doesn't realize he's yeah. dealing with Amanda. He's up against Amanda. Up he didn't realize. Amanda. Yeah. yeah, and and that's one of the other things that I. So I, at the beginning, when I said that it was the the Chinatown of shot to video erotic thrillers yeah it's because i learned about cinematic language from that film so a friend pointed out a more sophisticated viewer pointed out watch chinatown and just look for all of the water imagery like this movie is all about water and Mm -hmm. the movie the the story is about water and then throughout just look at how many fishes and water scenes and like how much that is uh, being communicated throughout the film in ways that you might not notice the first time through, but it, or even ever if someone doesn't point it out to you. And this film, well, first of all, it does that with water, definitely. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it also does it with Up Against Amanda as a theme. There's something that it's doing with these flared lights and stars that become stars as a yeah. visual theme throughout it the the really uh, inventive use of cinematic language throughout this that comes out on continued watches is where that comparison comes from and i remember from an earlier conversation that you had a pretty uh unique insight into the use of the the way that the film has amplified just the, its its own title as you were just alluding mm-hmm. to just now uh that the doctor is up against amanda but mm-hmm. there's other ways that that expresses itself in the film right oh yeah you're up against right you're up right you're up against amanda and you're out of your you're out of your depth because she's going to She's going to triumph every time. And you're also, in some cases, up against Amanda physically in a way that's uh, one of the best. I think you're referring to one of my favorite sequences, I think, 
again, so effective version of a sequence we've seen in many countless movies where uh, the guy, the hapless Richard, he's feeling neglected from his by his wife. Um, she's out on some like, you know, she's performing out in Vegas and he feels very alone and he's this poor little white boy. I don't know why I said that part, but she, you know, he's, he's exactly the character that we're supposed to sympathize with Richard. And we sort of do because he's such a schmuck, but he's in his hot tub, the hot tub, water imagery. Hot tub is a recurring motif yeah. or recurring, uh, I should say. Uh, there are recurring sequences at the hot tub and the water is obviously a motif and Amanda shows up and she seduces him and it's the same thing we've seen a million times gets in the hot tub with him but I gotta tell you it felt you can feel it you you could feel you could smell it it's you a know, genuinely erotic scene yeah. without not there's it's not erotic because they're naked it's not erotic because it's erotic because of the performances and the way it's shot and extended like, shot like these extended yeah. intimate two shot of these people. You do not see gratuitous nudity at all. In fact, you might, I don't think you see anything, but in this no. entire movie, but like side boob a couple times and, and a butt, a couple butt shots. And, but yeah, she's pushing up against him. Um, and you can, you re, I got to tell you, it is one of the few moments in the movie where I really did relate with Richard and I'm not being funny because you get it like he's a married man. His wife is, you know, traditionally beautiful. These kinds of movies frequently you want to yell at the screen and go, idiot, don't don't get don't get involved with this psycho. Right. Like, don't. What are you doing? Right. Um, And that's what these movies at their best, the big budget, the you know, the with known stars and shot with you know mil yeah. millions of Michael dollars. Douglas movies exactly they they and I and again I always I am thinking a lot of uh the hand that rocks the cradle which I for, I saw a long time ago but I remember that it's that it, people were doing things like you can you can neutralize this threat pretty easily just by being you know on top of shit and not making stupid decisions but when she's in that hot tub with Richard when Richard's in the hot tub with her I should say I I could I I I feel for that guy because how could you not give in to her to Amanda when she's how she does it and how assured she is this woman is a boss she is a, a extremely confident and and uh, competent manipulator and. Uh, she's a force of nature, I think, is one of the things you said. Uh, it's amazing. And it's it's a great erotic scene. Like, it's it's very sexy. It's also very, uh, you, 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 it's like you got to put your hands up and go, yeah, I do the same. I think I do the same. I, I'm a completely against cheating and all that. Uh, I don't think there's any need for that. You can just, you know, tell someone, hey, I want to move on from you. You know, there's no need to cheat on people. But when you have Amanda pushing up on you in your hot tub and whispering in your ear and 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 it's uh it's evoke it, it gets it it's very uh uh what's the word andras um it's not it's it's very sensual but it's uh you feel like you're there you feel like you're richard 
and that it's Amanda's up against you, you know? Yeah. 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 It's very evocative. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let, let, let's, 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 uh, Let's leave it to the viewers to find their their uh, particular relationship to that scene. But let's talk a little bit more about. That's when I turned the movie off. Was that scene? That was all I needed. Yeah, Andros. <laughs> I was spent. I don't think. I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, I felt weird after that scene. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, there is another kind of star in this film in that we have Reggie Bannister from <clears throat> Phantasm playing a member of the band, a member of Laurie Pierce's band. And let's talk a little bit about this band. They are, uh, it's, the, the music in this film is one of those things I love to a- ask the director about because mm-hmm. Reggie Bannister is in the movie playing in the band. So you got to think, and he's a musician Mm -hmm. and I understand this. I'm a musician and an actor. And if someone asked me to be in their low budget movie, I would try and get my music into the, into it. I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for nothing. If you let, if you work a band plot in it and I get to have my band in and we get to shoot stuff and like, I'll do that. And I can see that happening. And the band, this guy's supposed to be this uh, rock critic, and the band is very, uh, well, again, speaking of my own age group, it's just very white, middle-aged, middle-of-the-road. It's, like, it's a bar band. It's, it's not even, it's not a, bar even band. a bar band. It's like an right. adult contemporary bar. bar band at a bar, like, near an airport. <laughs> or like a bowling alley that also has a stage and a bar. <laughs> Yeah. And and she yeah. and part of I don't like <laughs> I'm so I, I know we're supposed to celebrate this and I guess I I as I watch no, it's, it now it's bad. I grow yeah. to, I but I've grown to enjoy the band aspect of this more and more because it's so realistic like that she has this delusion that this band is going to be huge and the right movie expects us to accept that this rock critic has hooked up with this woman who is just so uh right. clearly it's not that she's not good she just has massive delusions about the reality of life as a musician and yeah these, this couple is already this couple is a few years past where they should have been are thinking about you know having some kids and or even being, ju- or, being serious people. You could, you could have just had the thing where she was really committed to playing her music as a bar band, like and maybe sure if he had been like, well, if I think it would have worked a little bit better if he had been like, I want you to be successful. If the the com- but you wouldn't have the but you wouldn't have the whole thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Where it's, she goes off out of town or out of nowhere, you so, know, and, and then. Yeah, go ahead. No, I just but I, I wanted to ask you about Reggie Bannister because I, this is one of those things sure. where I've seen him at conventions because of the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. Right. And right. I've never seen Phantasm. I saw the preview for the original Phantasm, and it's still one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Phantasm so, two, I've seen, and I loved it. Can but you go just ahead. tell? I, mean, I could you could tell me the story of Phantasm, Justin. Okay, well, I'm not a phantasm head, as they call him. Phantasmaniac? Uh, 
Phantasmaniac, uh, yeah. Yeah, Phantasmanian devil. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's say we'll figure out an even better one by the end of the show, I think. But yeah, Phantasmaniac is pretty good, man. And okay. people love those movies. They love, what's the guy? The fucking Angus Scrim is the, anyone out there that might have a loose, vague, remember, maybe not everyone's seen Phantasm. It, the main bad guy, the boogeyman in it is played by this character actor named Angus Scrim. All the actors are very, in Phantasm, are very, like, you know, memorable. And, uh, Andras, do you know the name of the uh, director of Phantasm? Can you look it up while we're doing this? Okay, yeah. Uh, um, because he, he's done some great, he did Bubba Hotep, he did John Dies at the End. Oh, really? He's done, yeah, he's done some really, he's done a lot of, uh, he did a, a couple episodes for, um, Tales of Horror, the Showtime, what was it called? Tales of Horror, where all the directors like Toby Hooper and uh, Wes Craven, everybody got together and did these basically little short, basically like Twilight Zone horror. Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli. The guy is a, visually just goes goes hard and is a real, uh, I I think he is a visionary with horror. And the Phantasm movies... I'm not an expert, but I know it's about this kid, basic, this kid, and I think he finds this, it's either a book, kind of like the, in, um, in, a uh, Evil Dead, where they have the book, and you say something, and the demons come out. Also it's in some, Terrorize, the first Terrorize. from, uh, Terrorize. Yeah, Michael Ritzy. Michael, so I don't really, you know what, I'm going to be straight up, I don't remember what, why these people get sucked into, the uh, fucking Angus Scrim character. See, I don't even know enough about this movie. But there's these little demons that come out, and he has these orbs that that's these metallic orbs that float up and sprout sprout like these blades. Anyway, that's what scared me. That's what yeah. Oh yeah, it's disturbing. Me. It's disturbing as fuck. And he's you know he's kind of like a Freddy Kruegery guy, but he's he's a he's a living man. He's a, I think one of the things about the movie is he's a ghoul, the, the boogeyman character is a ghoul that just looks like a creepy funeral director guy. Looks like a, just like a creepy guy that works at a cemetery or something. He has a suit. The tall man. I think he's called the tall man. And uh, anyway, the character, the actor you're talking about, what's his name again? Reggie Bannister. <laughs> Reggie Bannister. Again, I'm not on the computer here. Um, Reggie Bannister is a very important character because he's the only, the only actor besides Angus Scrim who plays the tall man, the only other actor that's in all of, I believe in all of the phantasms or at least all the ones directed by, um, Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli. And at first he's just a sort of the first movie. He's just this kind of a goofy over age, trying to seem young, kind of like a, a, a less attractive version of the, um, character in Days and Confused uh, played by Matthew McConaughey, right? In the first movie, if that character is basically, it's the same guy. It's just not nearly as, you know, GQ handsome, right? And he's balding with the long ponytail and he has this sort of goofy, uh, he's like the uh, uncouth best friend of the lead character's older brother okay and everyone dies in the first movie except for the kid and 
this goofy best friend of whatever. Again, this guy. I'm so sorry. The the actor you're talking about, Reggie Bannister. Reggie Bannister. He plays like the. He's not even like a family member. He's a buddy of the kid's older brother. And by the second movie, he's the only tether that this uh, final final boy character has because everyone in his family has been killed by the tall man and all these little demons. And so by the second movie, Reggie Bannister has become hugely important to the to the narrative of the phantasm at the arc, the journey, because he's he's like and he's no he's no longer very goofy. He's actually now he's like a very, very capable survival survivalist you know he's, he's very much like ash he be, he's sort of the 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 uh, phantasm version of ash from evil, evil dead. dead yeah and where this character but it's, it goes the opposite way with ash ash got less and less serious and more funny and cartoonish and goofy and reggie bannister gets more and more capable and grizzled and he still has the ponytail with the bald spot and he still plays guitar and he, he still has this sort of, he's sort of a layabout, but but in these movies, he's so important. To the movies, he's arguably more important than the main protagonist. So that was what was interesting about you telling me that that was the same actor, because I didn't catch that when I watched Up Against Amanda. And he has almost nothing to do in Up Against Amanda, Reggie Bannister. Other he than has, get poisoned by... Other than get a great death scene. Yeah. <laughs> He gets to play his music, he gets a great death scene, and he gets one line, which is... <laughs> so So there's a one of the things that gets set up at the beginning of the movie is uh, our, our, friend, our friend Dick uh, Pierce can't, uh, doesn't make it to his girlfriend's or to his wife's gig on time, but he gets right. someone from a record label to be there. And... Yeah. After the gig, his the movie setting up his his wife as being sort of a shrew, driving him towards uh, Amanda, and she's <laughs> right, right. She's like mad at him because he doesn't because he didn't get there on time, and then he tells her that the record lady record label lady was there, and she's like, but she left early, and he's like, but she really liked it, and then instead of like letting it that be okay, she's like, aren't you happy for me? And she's just really. It's really sad. I, I, there's something about that particular scene because I hate that kind of stuff. Right. But right, right. That the if you check out the lighting, the way that scene is lit, like what he's able to grab just out of the back of in the back of this club on some marina somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and they're fighting. They're, they're shooting at night. They're dealing with sound, like it's not an easy thing to get this, and they get it. And yeah, they kill it. It's a, yeah. it's. But then she's really annoying, and then they go back in, and as they're going in, Reggie Bannister ha- says to our friend Dick, "You missed an awesome set, dude." Right, that's, that's that, his right, which is crazy, which is really crazy because Reggie Bannister is like arguably the equal, at least in stardom, to oh, Justine yeah. no, Priestley. He's, and, he's definitely yeah. the. That's what I mean. He's he's enough of a star for this that it's like there's somewhere right. where the where they're connected and. It's enough of a name to, that you try and squeeze it into your movie, and if you get, yeah, if he's and he's willing to do it to be in the band, and so they have to have this band, and then the band is 
this band. I just, uh, it's so, I love, it's one, I don't want to say that it's so bad it's good, but it is something here's what it is here's about it yeah it's very it's i i I don't think i have the words to put (sighs) there's something about the alchemy of this movie and all the movies we love and i'm sure most of the movies you guys cover all the movies that you guys cover on, on on the world is wrong any movie that any of us love there's something about it's not it's not the trees it's the forest and it's like, it's the combination of elements. And this movie, like you're talking about that, the, the whole thing with the wife and she's shrill, she's, she's shrill and unpleasant and, and um, neglectful when she needs to be so that we can have Richard feel, you know, he's vulnerable and giving into his worst impulses, his, his lesser angels or his whatever you want to call it. But it works because <laughs> like you don't the, the 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 stuff that happens that is contrived and it's like the, like you said that's the, that scene where the woman is where the woman or the the boyfriend the boyfriend or the girlfriend is upset at the other person and the other person is sort of hapless and like i'm sorry i didn't get here in time but you know everything worked out and it's like she's really unnecessarily he didn't do anything wrong he was stuck in traffic he was stuck in freaking traffic he got the record at label lady there yeah and and now he's the bad guy because he was stuck in traffic meanwhile the girl goes then the girl goes off and completely is such a uh like she she doesn't want to be associated yeah she doesn't want to be associated with him she's like she doesn't want them to know that she's married she doesn't want she said in my room she's such i think the term my grandmother used to Liberty gibbet. She becomes this like this like on a dime. This character didn't seem like this, but all but you know she all of a sudden becomes. At first, it's like he's the silly one. He's the playful one, uh, ducking under the water of the hot tub and sucking through the air hole and all that, and and scaring her. And in the first scene where we introduce these this couple, and she's like the logic. She's like the rational, mature one. She's like, "What's wrong with you? You're such a goof." And then she becomes this extremely because um, the movie needs it. The, the movie needs it, and it does it. it but it it does it, and it works. Be, I think in part because the band is so aggressively mediocre. Exactly. That's it. That's what I'm. That's that's the thing. It's like it's so hard to. This is one of those things where this movie. The way I'm trying to describe, and you said it perfectly, the band, the elements, the little elements, the the recipe of why this works is very intentional. It's you know that this person, these people know what they're trying to get across. That is the key to any piece of art or a piece of literature, you know, literature is art, film is art, any storytelling, any of this stuff. When you know the person, whether or not you're loving the story, whether or not it's your cup of tea. If you can tell, you can feel confident, comfortable, almost safe in the hands, or some people would say not safe. You, you feel like this, this filmmaker is able to manipulate you in a way that you don't want. These guys, these people, these folks know what they're doing. And so even this contrived thing where just for convenience, the, the wife becomes this very unpleasant, you know, mate, unpleasant spouse. She's not cool. It is 
on cue, but it this but it works. It works so much better than in other movies that try to make it seem like it's well written. There's so many movies that think they're creating something brilliant and insightful, and they're not. And that's why we have this uh, um, kind of jaded, cynical attitude towards some of these tropes. But when a movie like Up Against Amanda indulges in these tropes, but but shows you why they sh why they're why they exist. Why are they timeless? Why do they work? Why do they push the buttons? When Amanda kills Reggie Bannister, not intentionally, she meant to kill the wife. It's so it's so satisfying because there is there is the you're rooting for Amanda, but you don't want the wife to get killed because you know that's just like a nightmare. Like the wife dies, and then I think she was kind of, and then she was gonna like do something with Richard that was gonna fuck his life up. The whole thing is very like disturbing, but the way they do it, it's like you trust the movie to not kill the wife and kill Reggie Bannister instead. You don't know that that's gonna happen, but when it happens, you're like, yeah. Not that I want Reggie Bannister to die. Not that I really like the wife. It's just that it it knows when to release the tension in the right way or to amp up the the shock in the right way. Are there any other particular highlights or things about the film you feel like are important to you know, highlight or direct people's attention towards? I think we've covered the fact that this is a, a very... Th th these... Michael Ricci and the the actors have ch they have chops. They got they know what they're doing, and it's very intentional. And um, this every all the scenes work, and the pacing is on point. And so we've already touched on that, and we've talked about a few of the things we really liked individual scenes or or moments. Uh, something that always sticks with me. And it's not my favorite part of the movie, but this kind of in a nutshell is why I love this movie is there's a point in the climax of the film uh, where Amanda has been shown. Amanda is full boogeyman now. Like Amanda, yeah. Amanda has, has is now, you know, she's seduced. She's secretly killed a bunch of people and gotten away with it and killed dogs and all this. Gotten away with everything. and But then she finally goes tilt and she's stalking the couple now. They both know that she's a danger, you know. Yeah, and we didn't mention she's been surveilling them with with early oh, yeah. surveillance technology. There's a lot of early internet. There's a lot and, of early internet stuff, yeah. And early electronics, like early 20th century, 21st century electronics yeah. going on here. And so... Uh, yeah. So anyway, go on. Yes. Yeah. As far yeah. As the which, which, but, but that's that's the thing that's kind of great about the movie is, that, you know, it it it's one of these movies that uh, that shows you what you need to see, which a lot of a lot of much more successful, uh, uh, you know, lauded filmmakers don't somehow don't quite have that inherent knack like like in fight sequences of some big budget movies where you don't know what it's just this quick cut stuff where you don't know what's happening, who's hitting who or whatever. It's just a flurry of activity like the, uh, the green grass effect, you know, what's his face? Green grass. It does the born movies. It's mm -hmm. like, and similar with these kinds of thrillers, like you could see it being cut together in a way where it's kind of covering up that they don't know how to convey information. Um, 
expediently. And this movie with the surveillance stuff, there's a whole sequence that you could say is sort of, you could say you don't need that sequence. You could say that sequence is kind of boring, kind of dry, but it's not. It's this, uh, for me, we're, we're, we're Richard uh, when he's still very innocent. He doesn't realize he has this uh, predatory Amanda after him so much. Maybe he does realize, but you know, it's not in the danger zone yet. And she's asking him about his surveillance camera that he has that's that's is sort of skewed into her backyard right uh where her pool is or whatever uh and where her devious garden is where her devious garden filled with yeah it's so great uh yeah and and we get we get walked he walks amanda through and the audience through how his at the time was probably state-of-the-art you know, video surveillance, like he pulls up, you know, on the computer and he has all the window, all the little mini screens with the time codes and all this. And he describes it. He, t I mean, he walks you through it. He walks you through how he has the floppy. He records it onto a disc and then he, you know, like that whole thing. And the software, the, the software comes from the Industrial Eyes Corporation. The Industrial. I love these. I love that it's Titan Real Estate and Industrial Eyes Corporation. Yeah, Again, that's good just stuff. Like little, little details that just yeah, you like that. tweak you on this archetypal level. It's very nice. Yes, it's very nice. It's a it's a it's a fully fleshed out world. Uh, and yes, it's nice. You like that stuff. The uh, the the thing about that scene where he's showing her how he he's he's showing her exactly how to hack his system <laughs> and to fuck with it. And that's and then she goes out and then she immediately gets the same right. She buys the same equipment from the industrial yeah. eye and all this. But but that's the thing about this movie. As I'm talking about, I'm realizing Amanda is the audience surrogate in this movie. It's very it's very fascinating. The reason why this a big reason why this movie works is because the antagonist is and we and, I think we're supposed to be sympathetic also to the uh, Richard and to the victims and all that. Some of the victims, but no, the, the audiences were with Amanda. And so when things are happening, like someone's explaining how their early nineties surveillance equipment works, we're Amanda listening along with, you know, we're with her where she's our surrogate. The scene that I was going to bring up that I, don't want to forget and it's just not even my favorite scene but something that says it all it's when she's it, in the third act she's chasing after the couple they're in i think the backyard of the you know where the hot tub is very important um chekhov's hot tub you know mm -hmm. and uh richard is running <laughs> from amanda and he is trying he scrambles over this fence you know and she shoots him in the ass and <laughs> she shoots him and it doesn't kill him. He's and he's very awkwardly scrambling over this fence. He's very, he's like, you know, you can feel the fear. It's palpable. The fear He's a panicked, scared man. He's very clumsy and flailing and he's scrambling over this thing. She shoots him in the ass and he goes, ow, <laughs> and just, 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 it's so it's, something about that's so real <laughs> he falls off the thing and it's just yeah. it's just it's just so like you go yeah man like he's not dead 
He's just so hapless. He's so out of his depth. And and just the choice, the choice of having him awkwardly climb, try to get out and her shoot him, but it goes into his butt cheek and it's super painful. And then he falls off the, I think, does he get over the, I, I, it's been a while. I think he gets over the other side of the fence, but he like falls, you know, he's like, yeah. he's completely incapacitated. Yeah. And, and that for some reason that stuck with me, but oddly enough, now when I think about it, so many sequences in this movie stuck with me. I watched it when I was relatively, uh, um, I was assisted a little bit with, 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 uh, other substances, marijuana. marijuana and alcohol a little bit. I was enjoying myself in that sense. It was two in the morning, but like I said, I committed to this movie and after I was done watching it, I think the next day or a couple days later, I, I told you about it and then I rewatched it. You watched it. I yeah. rewatched it just to make sure I wasn't fooling myself that I wasn't like somehow compensating after the fact, but sure enough, uh, I've seen it three times now and it is, um, it constantly uh, impresses me and even surprises me a little bit. I noticed things this last time that I watched it that I did not notice the first time. And, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a really good movie. And, Andras, no one seems to know about this movie. Well, we're changing that. Yeah, so I think that's how the world would be wrong. There isn't a lot of like review. There aren't like negative reviews or anything. It's not like people have. People don't even know yeah. to look at like it. Re yeah, it's. Yeah. And I feel like in a weird like I now as I'm looking into Michael Ritzy's career. Yeah. I feel like that's just the case with him. Sure. That this is a film artist who is out there doing really exemplary work in a in a genre like it's not even the the genres that he's working in, but the genre of I don't know low production quality, high aesthetic value. Right. It's it's very punk rock. I think in a in a way that I that really speaks to me. And while we've been doing this, I've been doing a little bit more research into the music. All of the songs were written by Karen Lawrence, who is the leader of a band called Blue by Nature. Mm -hmm. It's a, so it it features a, a former Aerosmith guitarist Rick Dufay and a guitarist named Fred Hostetler. I see no. Reggie Bannister connection to this band or particularly unless Karen Grosso who plays Laurie Pierce is right. actually Karen Lawrence which I don't think so because I'm looking at pictures they do not seem like the same person they're right. if they are then they're pulling off a massive hoax that it becomes immediately the most interesting thing about all of this but I don't think so uh God, I want to talk with this director and this movie, know the story of yeah. the music of this film. All this stuff is so... This is what this movie makes you feel. And this is why, I, again, I, I would love for to be part of a 2B episode of your podcast. Because with our with the internet, we can get... You know, and we watch everything. We can get anything. We can find anything. And we're all very used to it. It's very much how things are. But this movie 
is one of those things where there's so little information about it that it you have that that I, that feeling that I think a lot of us have forgotten this feeling, this experience of being like of this mystery behind the, you know the mystery behind these people and the the the, the actors and such and what their career. We don't have a, we don't have a mapped out timeline of all these people's careers and everything because there isn't anything online. You know, there isn't much online. And it's this kind of, um, and when you find something like a discover, it's that feeling you used to get, like, you know, you used to have all the time where you'd find, just go to a video store and mm -hmm. find this obscure movie and then be like, just like blown away by it. That's not so much a thing anymore. But every once in a while, something gives you that, evokes that same feeling. And this is that, this is that kind of movie. What a good what a good flick, though. Well, let, let, let's leave, let's leave it with this, which is just think about this, people. <laughs> I got the DVD for this, and <laughs> the DVD booklet is just ads for other Roger Corman productions. Mm. And if you look at the credits of this film, Roger Corman is not credited as a producer. Mm -hmm. Although if you look on IMDb, he's an uncredited producer. Once again, I am struck with what what would make a film something that Roger Corman would refuse to be associated with publicly. Right, because it's a quite, What is it about yeah. this film and this filmmaker that has Roger Corman a a noted uh, supporter? of independent filmmakers give lending his support in some way to this film and yet not wanting to have his name on it. Hmm. The story, I, I just, I don't, I am so, so curious, but, but Justin, uh, I, I, I'm glad, I'm just glad you introduced me to this film. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. And we definitely should do an episode, do it just a, a celebration of Tubi episode. I've had several people. I think there is a big crossover uh, between World is Wrong fans and Tubi lovers. Mm -hmm. They uh, they had Mad Dog time before. they. Well, they didn't have Mad Dog time when we first covered it, but now they do. And so I feel like they're listening to this show. And so they know yeah. you love them. Yeah. And uh, can you tell us, just before we head out, you're a filmmaker as well. Mm -hmm. We've worked on some big and sprawling and ambitious projects and also sort of short, funny weirdness. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything, can you, do you want to tell the listeners of the World is Wrong podcast where they can find you, your work? What they should be looking out for from you, anything like that? Sure, I'll, I'll throw a couple things out there. If you want to, uh, some of our, uh, our 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 more sprawling film that we worked on together. This is the first time you and I worked together was something called Every Day Is a Journey. That was a six part story, six episodes that were uh, basically they were done very similar to uh, the old elementary school game Exquisite Corpse, where you draw. Part of a picture, you fold it, 
you have a couple lines coming out and then the uh, the next person draws goes on from there and doesn't see the original drawing sort of some people compare it to telephone which i think is inaccurate but anyway it was called every day is a journey and it was six directors that i did the first installment and then the next guy saw the end of that and then continued the story and then the next guy the same and the next person the same and you can find that on YouTube on Raw Stock. If you look up Raw Stock Media Channel, Raw Stock, R A W S T O C K Media, M E D I A, that's the channel. And there's some a few uh, other short films that uh, I've produced on there. And um, as far as anything new, uh, well, the group of filmmakers that we all work with uh, created something called Raw Stock out here in Seattle back about 15 years ago. And it was a short film fest, a big party, a big rager, excuse to drink and have fun. But it was uh, premieres of short films and some feature films that were a little bit more independent, a little bit uh, under the radar. We got some great films. We got some great alumni from that uh, that film festival series we did them six times a year haven't done those in a while but we're bringing it back under the guise of the blunt film fest rostock is presenting something called the blunt film fest in um at the end of april and it's a cannabis themed film event with short films from seattle and california and and europe and some great animation and that's going to come up in a couple months and we'll have a uh, a website up for that and it would be www.bluntfilmfest.com and if you guys are interested in uh in, in being a part of, of of these watching these great kind of obscure shorts some up-and-coming directors that's going to be something we're going to have a a, a digital release at the same time we do the live shows now that covid's kind of lifted a little bit we're going to do a live show again but we're also going to have access online through vimeo i don't know if that's too much information but that's something no we... no no but I, I i wanted to ask two two questions first of all just to let people know in between the rostock film festival and the blunt film festival there was the dive bar film festival yes which still is a uh, thing yeah yeah which is still a thing as well so you kind of get the theme here uh, yeah justin i, I I, I introduce you as a filmmaker because that's what I that's what you are primarily. But we got to know each other as bartenders. Oh yeah. And there is a, a bacchanalian quality to everything you do. Uh, yeah, there which, has uh, to be is yeah, why your it's... shows are very popular. Uh, but I, the other thing I wanted to ask was because you mentioned some of the filmmakers. Can you do, are there some the the filmmakers the that Rostock has shown uh, shined a light on that people might be aware of. Well, yeah, I know that I got interest, introduced to Calvin Reader. Uh, who are some of the other ones? There, yeah, there's quite a few. Calvin Reader is one of my favorite. Uh, David Lowry, who recently uh, did the Green Knight, he actually attended a couple of the Rostocks back in the early days. He did some amazing short films that w one of my favorite films we ever got for the early days of raw stock you know we're, we're going through a, a lot of submissions and a lot of interesting stuff that doesn't quite make it but there was something called a catalog of a catalog of expectations i believe and it was david lowry's 
one of his first short films, and it was um, similar to, um, is it Le Jetite? Jetite? Jetite, the film that 12 Monkeys was based on? Do you know what I'm Jeté? talking about? Jeté? Uh, yeah. where it's all Where it's mostly just stills and uh, voiceover. Um, he, he did, David Lauer did something similar to that, where uh, it was basically about a little girl who found these fairies in her backyard. Very unnerving, very uncanny, sort of creepy, beautiful short film called The Catalog of Expectations. That's right. And that was our introduction to David Lowry. And he ended up going on to do Ghost Story, I believe, with uh, Casey Affleck and Ain't These Bodies Saints, which is a feature film with Casey Affleck that's quite good with uh, I forgot who else is in it. And then, of course, The Green Knight, which I saw in a theater this summer, this past summer. And I was just really impressed by what a good movie by a director that I would have uh, uh, admired anyway. And the fact that I got to meet him a few times and that we showed his early stuff. We premiered his first feature called St. Nick. So he's he's one of those guys. I'm like, I'm like amazed that we got to because of this festival, we get to meet these these visionary filmmakers I do a lot of work with Jason Reed, who does documentaries, and we, he, some of you out there might have seen Sonic's Gate or um, Dirtbag. Dirtbag is about Fred Becky. Sonic's Gate is about the um, Seattle losing its pro basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they're riveting documentaries. It's funny when you think when you say a riveting documentary, I just imagine that it's like a, a documentary about riveting. Yeah. About, about riveting, who, like riveter, like Rosie the Riveter, like from the 1940s. That'd be so good. To, that's documentary. a good idea, Andras. We should maybe pitch that. Uh, put together yeah. a deck. Put together a deck, and then we'll pitch it. A riveting documentary. A riv, and it can be called a riveting documentary. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, I think Dave. I, not I am just David Lowry is the big the the one that I'm so. It, I kind of pat myself on the back a little bit. What about that but, actor, the actor who does the... Oh, who, Mitch McGee? Well, him, but also the actor who was in the, the Moon Temple thing we did. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, Linus Phillips. Linus Phillips is a local actor that uh, is also a filmmaker, an accomplished filmmaker. He did something called Ass Backwards. He did something a lot of people might have heard of called Walking to Werner, I believe. It's a documentary that followed, you know, it was an autobiographical documentary where he basically goes off in searches for Werner Herzog. It's kind of hard to explain any more than that, but where he kind of, it's like he's, uh, you know, he's like uh, wanders the earth. He wanders the earth like Kane from Kung Fu, but he's, he's, his goal is to meet Werner Herzog. And uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but yeah, Linus Phillips he, uh, yeah, good, good filmmaker, really talented actor. One of my favorite local guys is um, Calvin Reader, for sure. Does great horror. By the way, Oregonian, his first feature is available on Canopy. If anyone wants to check out Calvin Reader's work, there is um, Oregonian on Canopy. You can watch it. It's free because uh, it's through the public library. Really great source of quality films canopy another good streamer but um christian palmer local guy who you know who directed you in a couple things right mm -hmm. he is somebody that hasn't done a lot lately he's he's involved in other back of that you know uh 
more production right now, mm-hmm. but he did something called uh, called uh, William Never Married. William Never Married, and it's one of it, it's a, it's a very kind of exquisite squalor bummer of a. It's to me, I felt like it was a comedy. It's a really good movie. It's very evocative. Uh, again, it was done on a very low budget, but it, he knows what he's doing. And it, like any filmmaker that knows what they're trying to get across and knows how to achieve what they're trying to get across, that's when that's when it's something special. And it has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with, you know, it, money up to the point that you're able to get a camera and get actors and get the lighting right and all that, sure. But... Uh, money does not equivalent to to quality, and uh, what you need is is people that know what they're doing, like Michael Ricci, Michael Ricci, uh, Christina Ricci's brother. No, no, no. Okay, no. I love that you I, you you invented a word here. Equivalent. I did I did invent it. I did invent it. And you know what? Yeah, you invented a, a equivalation. That was intentional. I was like, I don't know what the word I'm thinking of is, so I'm just going to say this new one, equivalent. That's really. I mean, it it's got it it gets all it gets a really it gets a lot in there. Sometimes those <laughs> those kind of mistakes get to this level of poetry that I just I love yeah. I love it. So whatever it's so much better than whatever word you were yeah. initially going to use. And just in closing, uh, there there was a short film that you showed at one of the last festivals you did. I think it was directed by Christian Palmer, oh. where he gets no, abducted. Is that available to see any place? Uh, okay, yeah, I be- yeah, it's called the the procedure, and it's uh, Christian Palmer produced it, um, and acts in it, and Calvin Reeder, another guy we mentioned, uh, directed it, and I think they co-wrote it, and it's just a perfect short film. No, no spoilers. Obviously, we can't give any spoilers at all. No, just no. you know, I think you said as much as needs to be known. If someone gets abducted at some point, uh, it's called the yeah. procedure. If people, I believe it's available on Vimeo. And so if you go, if you, Calvin Reader has a page on Vimeo. I'll put it on the, if it's available, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, there's also a sequel, which I don't know if the sequel is available, but, but it's, it tops it. So uh, yeah, yeah, guys, guys, if you want to see a, a, a perfect short film, what, three minutes? Yeah, it might be the, I, it. I hate to say the greatest because there's always going to be something else that you want to say the greatest about. But to me, there's a certain class that you're in where you are worthy of being called the greatest. And yes, I can't, there's whatever the greatest three minute film is, isn't better than this one. This oh, yeah. is it has everything. Perfect. It has everything. Yeah. A perfect movie. Yeah. The, the amount of time, amount of screen time to, uh, post uh, film trauma, right? Is is like it's yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It, it it played. I mean, it played at Sundance, and I think it was uh, twenty whenever it was twenty sixteen or. Uh, it actually got into Sundance this short, and um, I think it, after that, uh, just movies should have surrendered. See, this to is the these thing. Two it, it, when you when when it, when people again when people see this movie. You'll understand what we're talking about. But it was this 
you know, it's a short film, very, you know, three minutes long, low budget, but really gets across what it needs to do again. It was, it was perfect. It was perfectly yeah. done. And it won some award, uh, like, uh, like the, like judges, like the favorite kind of like audience favorite yeah. type of award. But it was this kind of, um, and I saw a little bit of the, uh, I saw a little bit of the live like press award where they where the judges are awarding this, and it's like they're in, almost in in awe of the fact that it affected them so much that they were giving it this award. You know, it's like this thing deserves. It, it can't help you can't deny that it's a uh, it's an effective yeah. piece of filmmaking, much like Up Against Amanda, which is available on Tubi. And you are actually talking about doing some sort of raw stock screening of Up Against Amanda. Is that, that's in the cards right now? Yeah, this is a new a new development, in, at least in terms of a goal for, I would love to, uh, yes, I would like to, I'm going to make this happen. Let's say that. I, I'm going to make this happen. I want to screen Up Against Amanda out here in Seattle uh, uh, for, for a live audience. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it'd be a great movie to watch in a theater with a bunch of other people having fun. Again, not a so bad it's good movie. A it's so good it's good movie. Yeah. And it uh I'm going to make that happen and we're going to uh, let, let's let's work on that together. Let's get Michael Ritzy to to come out and do a double feature of this and Terrorize, which I haven't seen, so I got to check that out. It's so I'm only 20 minutes in and okay. I'm just I'm having the same feeling of just the, of, with this movie of like I'm so not interested in this kind of movie and I'm so riveted by this film right Radio 8 Andras here when I'm not co-hosting the world is wrong podcast I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers, from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Hey, babies, it is me, the self-appointed commissioner of comedy, James Matter. I just want to tell you that every week I'll be wherever you listen to podcasts with my show, The Commissioner of Comedy. I've been doing this, babies, for almost 20 years years grinding up and down and i'm here to convey it to you about the do's and don'ts of the comedy scene the proper etiquette the unwritten rules if you will whether you're just a fan or you're a young buck starting out a grizzled old vet or just someone who wants to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage gets made tune into the podcast the commissioner of comedy this is what it's about it's only on paper house network and it's for you babies it's for you Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. 
Okay, Brian, you got to tell us, what is your connection to this film? Well, totally crazy. Uh, so you pitched this movie as sort of like this lost, you know, strange, sort of erotic thriller uh, from the early aughts. Uh, I've never heard of it. You had never heard of it until you watched it. Uh, I don't know anyone who's ever seen this movie. Uh, and so I was looking it up, just trying to find where I could watch it, found it on Tubi. But then I was just kind of looking through poster images. And I found one from China that, uh, no joke, that in China is re it was released as Up Against Amanda, colon, Emmanuel. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Emmanuel? This is a, you're writing a book. And, Emmanuel, you're actually uh, writing a manual. And I'm writing Emmanuel. the book about all things Emmanuel, and I did not find this one yet, because I've been including all the retitles and all the ripoffs and everything, and this was one I did not know, because how would I have known unless I found the Chinese poster for this movie? Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well... Not only do I have to watch this, but now I have to actually like think about it and write a little short synopsis for my book and probably put the poster in the book. So now not only are we be selling this on this podcast, but like I will be pushing this movie in that book. So anyone who someday gets that book will learn about Up Against Amanda or Up Against Amanda Emmanuel. <laughs> Which is hilarious because there's nothing, there is no person named Emmanuel in this movie at all. Uh, no. That title doesn't really make sense. That retitle makes no sense. Because uh, if it really was trying to be a ripoff, wouldn't you just call it Up Against Emmanuel? But it's Up Against Amanda colon Emmanuel. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but you know what? China, that's just how they wanted to sell this movie. Maybe it worked, maybe enough. You know, people saw it because of it in China. <laughs> oh, and on the poster, I don't know if you looked at the poster, but they took this scene from the hot tub uh, mm -hmm. and changed it to a bathtub for whatever reason. Like a hot tub wasn't sexy enough for China. So they said, we're going to put them in a hot and in in like a nice fancy looking like bathtub maybe they can make it seem like a classy softcore emmanuel sort of thing maybe hot tubs are too american too trashy to sell it as an emmanuel so they made a they superimposed their bodies in a bathtub and then the wife is like looking down over them as if that happens in this movie at all like she looks like evil and jealous like she's almost the bad guy <laughs> as opposed to just being in a delightfully easy you know, jazz band. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. So uh, there's, there's a few things I want to talk about. I know that this episode, I was not part of the big part of it, but I feel like there are some things worth noting that you did not talk about that I'm kind of interested in. <laughs> okay. Well, but first of all, would you, would, I, I, I believe you've already written your review. Sure. It's going to appear in the book. Would you would you share that with <laughs> yeah, us? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? And this is just sort of like, you know, I'll rewrite this by the time the book comes out. But it, and it is more or less, we've heard your synopsis of it, but this is sort of my version of it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Amanda, Justine Priestley, spends eight years in an insane asylum after murdering her abusive stepfather, played by Dwayne Whitaker of Pulp Fiction. With the help of her lecherous doctor, she gets released to the world. Doc sets her up near his house, hoping that she'll be doped up and ready for extramarital affairs. 
Not interested in this plan, she dumps the meds and murders him with a curling iron to the butt, burying him in the backyard garden. Married, <laughs> married dorky neighbor and Rolling Stone writer Richard, played by David DeWitt, has one of his security cameras pointed at Amanda's house. Now she must seduce him and get a full tutorial on his late 90s CD-ROM burglar protection. The relationship grows and things get very, very out of hand. Beer laced with deadly acid, intense voyeurism, a cute dog smashed with a shovel, a forced picnic, lots of people in hot tubs, including a moment when a full dinner is served. <laughs> <laughs> Priestley is having a great time as the unhinged psycho girl next door. Her practicing ad nauseum on how to poison a drink is a truly fascinating scene. The film has a lot of little parts filled with a who's who of it's that guy. Richard's wife, Lori, performs in an easy listening jazz band featuring on guitar Reggie Bannister of Phantasm. <laughs> Daniel Roebuck and Willard E. Pugh play not-so-helpful cops. Chuck Williams is horny best friend Buzz. A late-to-the-game fatal attraction ripoff, shot on bad video with not great sound, heightened by its tight script and surprisingly good performances. The Chinese Emmanuel retitle makes no sense whatsoever. What does it even mean? So there's, that's my review of <laughs> Up Against Amanda. I like yours better than mine. Yeah, yours should be in a book. Mine definitely is more uh, of a podcast material. So, yes, yeah, so tell. Get, I, I've been waiting to hear what you think about well, this film since I first discovered it. Yeah. Well, you kept telling me that I think you were like, I think you're going to like this movie, Brian. I think with your love of an after last season that you're going to be into this movie. And I don't think this movie is anything like after last season. Actually, but, I'm thinking of it more of your love for like Andrew Stevens. Definitely. Yes. But I stuff. definitely had the same uh, reaction as our guest where like the first few minutes with those terrible credits <laughs> And I'm like, oh, no. And then once I realized it was shot on, like, video, and not, like, digital video, this looks like a camcorder. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be <laughs> rough. And then the sound where, like, the music is loud, but the dialogue is kind of feels like it was just a mic from the camera. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but, like, within, like, the first 15 minutes, I was hooked. I really was, like caught up in it as much as I would a, a big movie with a budget. Like the, there's just so many scenes in this movie where I was just like so fascinated by it and also just caught up in the actual, like you've totally forget about it's, it's deep, obvious flaws and you are just wrapped up in the story. You really are as much as you would in a fatal attraction or a hand that rocks a cradle. Like it's kind of amazing. And, a t and like you guys said, a testament to, the filmmakers and the actors for like, you had this movie that should have been garbage, could have been garbage. You could have totally phoned this in and threw some nudity in it and Roger Corman still would have dumped it on, you know, v cable or whatever. But you actually all tried to make a good movie and you did make a good movie despite it not looking like a, a quote unquote real movie. And like, I think the moment I was really hooked was when, when Buzz comes by to wake up <laughs> Richard just to tell him that a hot babe moved in next door <laughs> like his just woke him up like noon on a Saturday just be like hey check this out check out the neighbor man and you're like this is odd 
<laughs> but I mean, like the part where she puts the acid in the beer and is being passed around. Like I was totally like on the edge of my seat, like truly just be like, oh, my God, is she going to drink acid? Are we going to watch this poor lady? Like, sure, she's a jerk. But does she deserve to be like puking up blood on stage in front of her like nice little ele elevator music band? <laughs> like, No. And then when she passes it to Reggie Bannister, I'm like, no, don't do don't do it. Uh, and then like all, I was just so fascinated by all the endless people looking at computers and like all that old, just way computers looked in like the nineties and like a lot of it, there's a lot of people just looking at kind of old technology, which was great. Long scenes, <laughs> long scenes of it. And I was just found it just so enthralling. And then, I mean, we can spoil this because you, know, you should have watched this by now. Amanda's death is brutal. <laughs> it's a brutal death. I was like, are they really going to drive the car over her? And it's then, it, but then, so it's like kind of schlocky and fun. But then the fact that her last memories are what I can tell is her just re-remembering being molested by her stepfather and then murdering him. And that's like the last thing she's going to think about before she dies, which is really brutal yeah <laughs> like that's like that little hook at the end is like oh god that's like and i think that's sort of the key to this movie is it's not on the surface it seems like it should be just some crap <laughs> like that you've seen before and in a way it kind of is in terms of like the plot sort of like where it's like oh this is a knockoff of these kind of thrillers and even the music kind of sounds like the basic instinct music a little bit but the fact that, like, you really, the character of Amanda is so good, so well written, so well acted, like, and she. So and, well filmed. And, like, yeah, just, like, yeah, like, like the yeah. scenes of her, like, there's so much of her character that is just her looking at things. Yeah. And the way it's like, framed. Yeah. And like giving it that paranoid feeling. And like I yeah. said, that scene where she's practicing pouring the, the acid in cups, like just yeah. by herself, is really eerie and great. And so it's like on honestly up there with like a you talking to me taxi driver sort of thing. That is like an in like you're getting into the mind of a like a really disturbed individual as she's practicing how to pour this thing over and over again. And then like a movie of this quality normally wouldn't show like that little character moment it would just have her poison the beer or whatever you know like but having her just alone having that strange moment is great um <laughs> and and i really like the part where like before they have sex in a hot tub he tells this long story of meeting frank sinatra <laughs> that one yeah that wouldn't be in a movie like this either it's just like it would just kind of go right into the seduction but instead just to kind of play on this guy being this total like music critic dweeb just talking about like, Oh, then I remember it's Frank Sinatra and is telling this whole little story, which feels so believable. Like this guy would totally do that to try to like, uh, impress a lady. <laughs> it's that we met Frank, Frank Sinatra at a, at a bar afterwards. Um, yeah, no, this is like, I fought, I've really fought trying to like this movie at first and like, I just like was rolling my eyes at my wife being like, uh, I don't like I to think that maybe <laughs> Andras is wrong and I don't understand why. But I was like totally sucked in by the, the end of the first act. I was like hooked and I will definitely recommend this to everybody. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's like, you say on the surface, it's like it's all through. 
<laughs> like every aspect of this is low rent. Yeah. And yet it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and like yeah. if this was a movie with a big budget and like and like bigger actors, it would totally be a movie people would have liked or remembered, you know, like these kind of movies do really did really well for a while and it isn't gratuitous like the andrew stevens ones that i love like those shannon tweed type movies are all about showing the skin and the sex but the the but the sex scenes and the nudity in this are few and far between and oh, very tasteful you know what that's one of the things that made me think of this so you we, we were talking i don't know which up it's in a recent episode about how if a man filmed it, it would be one way. In the cut, in the one... cut episode. Oh, in the cut. Yeah. And I was thinking about there's a shower sequence in this film where it was totally an opportunity to ogle. Yeah, and it wasn't. And instead, it wasn't, but it was a film. But that shower sequence, if you watch it, it is like it's almost De Palma-esque in terms of how much cutting is going on in a shower scene in a movie like this without ever showing anything, anything yeah. that you'd think that it would show. Yeah. That's the kind of trick this movie just pulls over and over again. Right. Like right when you think it's going to be dumb or it's going to make the wrong choice, it just keeps making the right choices. Yeah. Even, the, even as Dick makes all the wrong choices. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like this movie does like, yeah, it's shot on video and it's done with, you know, a lot of the scenes kind of look like a thing shot on video. But there are shots that look great, like that one where they're outside and the bridge is all lit up underneath with some color. Like, yeah. And I don't think they did that lighting. I'm sure that's just the lighting on that bridge. But the fact that they knew to point the camera that way made yep. it seem like that they had the budget to light that bridge or like. They definitely didn't get permission to film outside the Bellagio fountain <laughs> or in that casino. I bet that was all done on the fly. But it's great because yeah. it's like her, it's the wife trying to talk to her husband, but the fountain's starting and the music's playing. It's too loud and she they can't really understand what they're saying. And it's just like, it's in her just kind of brushing him off because <laughs> he's calling her to try to tell her about this whole th fiasco that happened with the cops trying to arrest him and everything. And that was great. Um yeah, no, it's uh, like the, the it, shots on the free, like they get these shots on the freeway, which is clearly just a car like they're in one car filming the other car mm -hmm. from behind. But you're getting rain in L.A. Mm -hmm. and you're getting that that those really I love that lighting effect that is throughout the film. Yeah. With with that sort of like the turning all these lights into stars, the yeah. way they shoot them. And that's throughout. But I think the first time they introduce that motif is in the like this car in the rain driving in LA. That's an expensive shot to get if you were actually trying to get that like if you produced that shot in the way that a normal movie would. Yeah. And somehow they got it. Yeah, it's yeah. like it, yeah, just one after another. And of course, Buzz is the standout. <laughs> I know his when he dies it's so sad. You're like, "Oh, poor Buzz. He was just Oh, and then there's that weird scene that I thought was going to lead to something but didn't where they have like the 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 little public the neighborhood watch meeting and yeah. buzz like talks about how like you don't don't make us lock our guns away which i didn't know neighborhood could watch could do that <laughs> <laughs> and then amanda volunteers to pass out fly the flyers for 
What was it? Like Look, she like the looking for the dog. Looking that, for the dog that she killed. <laughs> but it's just like you didn't really need that scene. You could have had her just like they already because she already had her kind of walk with Richard and be like, let me help you find your dog. But the fact that we pause and have this strange like well, neighborhood watch to, meeting. <laughs> no, we needed to establish that Buzz was a gun owner. Oh, so he, but we couldn't have also just had him when things got weirder later be like pull a gun out. <laughs> but you need to know that he's know. not a bad guy with a gun. He just wants it to protect his his wife or whatever. Uh, that scene was really good as well. Um, <laughs> and the fact that there that his that Richard's wife's band is like recording some album that no one will ever listen to <laughs> like this it's like it feels like the way that band was written was that they were hoping to get like a real band or a rock and roll band but then it came out the type of music that is played at like a steakhouse like all over the <laughs> over the radio like this really like inoffensive just like dinner music but the fact that the wife is like going on tour for like a month and in Vegas and she's going to make it and they're recording an album. It's like, who, who like, this is such a weird fantasy of like that kind of band, like the people in those bands. And there's many people that do that. I think they would love this movie just because it's the only time I've ever seen that kind of band treated as if they were rock stars where a recording contract person shows up and. It's just so, and there's an audience of like a following they have every time they do a show. Amazing. <laughs> yes, and amazing. I don't know if you know this, but most A and R people are like seventy year old ladies. <laughs> so they got that right, I guess. <laughs> no, uh, no, <laughs> no. I mean, there, there may be they, like that person's assistant might be coming out to it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah everything is. Everything is hilarious. Do you feel like Justine Priestley should have been considered for a Best Actress in that year? That was the year that <laughs> Julia Roberts run, won for Aaron Brockovich. Uh, other uh, nominees were Joan Allen for The Contender, Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream, Juliette Binoche for Chocolat, and Laura Linney, You Can Count on Me. We could bump at least one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all them. fine. They're all they're all fine. Uh no, totally. Like in a perfect world, if Hollywood wasn't a bunch of garbage, they would consider these kind of movies too, because that is a good performance, and not an e and not and not an e not an easy and not an easy performance. Yeah, and just also the they, fact she didn't have a trailer. Like you know, with this movie, she was drinking coffee with the crew. Yeah, that was that. This is like to give a performance like this in a film like this. Yeah, is uh, a lot of work. You have yeah. to be fully bought in. And it's in a and it's a hard performance to pull off because it could have been too like I'm crazy. It could have been like oh, yeah. too hammy, but she she keeps kind of grounding it in reality. And every interaction that she has with everyone is totally believable. Like it never is like off the rails. Like this movie is off the rails, but it's but the humanity part of it is always like on track. Like <laughs> which is also a hard trick to pull off. You know, I think the director did a great job of that because like this could yeah. have been everybody going wild with the plot going wild but as the plot goes wild, the people keep bringing it back to reality um like the guy who plays richard is such a believable like normally it isn't andrew stevens or michael douglas like a really handsome guy but in this one this the actor totally is like i can see him getting wrapped up into this i can see this happening like i can see like the part when 
he finally has to confess to his wife everything he did. And she jokingly is like, oh, would you sleep with Amanda while I was gone? And he just looks so sad in the doorway because he's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and that's good. It's And that actor's only been in this movie and like one other thing. Um, Yeah, maybe he's the guy who sells the security systems. And he was like, you know how to already explain this. Can you just be in this movie? <laughs> and I love that too. All the shots of just the security camera's point of view. Of like her in the backyard and like dragging the body and just like the empty driveways and yard. Like it was so good. Um, and is the dog's name Wag? Like Tail Wag? W-A-G? It's what it sounds like uh, they were saying. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> it's an interesting does, name for a dog. Does Wag have a credit in the I don't, IMDb? I don't, I don't think so. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, well, I, I, Michael Ritzy, we gotta, we gotta pay more attention to him. Uh, he is. Yeah, I want to watch really interesting film. Uh, his conundrum. An, his version of Annabelle Lee from 2009 looks really good. I'm totally gonna check that out, like 100. percent Like Terror Eyes, check out Terror Eyes. It's on, <laughs> it's on, I think YouTube. And there's it all. Is <laughs> amazing. And then Soul Taker looks good too, starring Joe Estevez uh yeah <laughs> bring bring and i want to see the movie he made when he's 16 that's not listed on i know yeah and then i guess he also made a documentary about like spielberg and george lucas while in film school and like that mm -hmm. sounds interesting too like i want to and a lot of these aren't even listed on his imdb so what a humble man won't even list these other great things that he's done um <laughs> and it says he's on the, in uh, on, uh, oh go, let's go on sorry it says he's in up against amanda as dr ridley michelson which maybe one of the doctors of the, who was in who's over who's like giving amanda letting amanda go free yeah to speak to a panel of doctors yeah it says in the imdb credits that uh that gg bannister is an uncredited special effects person on this. Ooh, so that's got to be Red, about that. Reggie Bannister. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie Bannister's wife or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Ritzy edited the film, yeah. wrote the film, directed it. It is a full-on... Yeah, a total filmmaker, true auteur. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm really glad we did this. I'm glad you pointed me in the direction of this movie. I'm very excited to hear other people's uh opinions on it because i feel like yeah this is just a thing you would never know is like dumped on tubi but that means everybody has access to watch this movie so yeah. everybody yeah. should go watch this movie it's free just do it yeah and i love that you had the same experience because when when justin described it that the like that it was like the film was <laughs> beckoning him and toying with him <laughs> like i really do feel like that is it may be the best description of this film possible. Yeah. Like, if you love film, everything about you rebels against what you're <laughs> seeing on screen. Yeah. And then it just flips on his head and you're like, holy shit. I mean, it's like, it is, it's like watching a great juggler juggle really terrible things. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't, but I, I'm so, yeah, it just like, it becomes this other experience and yeah. that's just, that's the best. Yeah. That's the best. So next week, 
we're not going to be talking about another film because we're not done talking about Up Against Amanda. (laughs) We're going to be talking with the director, the writer, the editor, the mastermind behind Up Against Amanda, Michael, not Ritzy, because since recording that last bit, I have been in touch with him, and I find that his name is actually pronounced Michael Ricci, although he was happy to know that I was using the original Italian pronunciation, <laughs> Ritzy like Pritzy, of Pritzy's honor. But yeah. he is Michael Ricci, oh, I believe, yes, Michael Ricci, and maybe he'll correct me and say it's Michael Ricci, and then I'll just be wrong forever. <laughs> but uh, he will be joining us next week to talk about Up Against Amanda and his life in film. Uh, Brian, do you have any? Do you have anything you think I should ask him? Oh, I mean, I think we asked a lot of questions during this episode. So, as long as he listens to this, he'll know the things he needs to address. I'm I'm mostly excited about sort of how did he like? Is that a real security system, or did he invent this? <laughs> all the cameras. I want to know. Can I get this for my home? Is there uh, up against Amanda security system that I can buy? You know, it's, it's funny because I think that when we talked about Up Against Amanda, that we were generally very, very positive about it. But then when I sent it to him, I was also aware that it might not sound as complimentary as I think we mean it. <laughs> like Because it, there, there's definitely a part of it that's like, man, this thing is so bad. How can it be so good? And I am... Uh, I'm a little bit nervous, but also looking forward to talking with the person himself and finding out how it landed. And uh, well, and and it's just a good note. Like we we've said this many times, we don't think it's so bad. It's good. If yeah. we like it, it's good. Exactly. And like in the, and and movies have their limitations with budget or camera or whatever, uh, and that's okay. If the movie's good, it's good. Yeah. 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 And up against Amanda is good, and the person who is, made it is clearly a very special filmmaker and we will be talking with him next week yeah so uh yeah so tune in tune in next week or just you know if you're listening you know whatever just move on to the next episode that's what you'll find (laughs) and if you'd like to send in your thoughts or impressions of our conversation here or of this film or any of the films we covered you can reach us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com you can find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast on Twitter at world is wrong pod. And of course you can find pages devoted to every one of these episodes at our, at our website, which is www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. And uh, I'm just noticing here, we didn't, I, I'll post it in the show notes up against Amanda actually has a website. Wow. Against Amanda.com. And I'm seeing here, and I'm feeling very sad. You can purchase, because I purchased the DVD, but I didn't purchase it directly from them. You can purchase your own copy of Up Against Amanda on either VHS or DVD for $14.99 plus shipping. And they will include a 17 by 11 poster Wow! Up Against Amanda. I missed out on the opportunity to get the poster. I feel very bad about it. But you can write to them at P.O. Box 280387, Northridge, California. Uh, that can't be the... functional anymore, right? There's no way. <laughs> that any, this is from 21 year, 22 years ago. 
Uh, well, maybe try. Let's send money to it and see what happens. <laughs> see what we it's worth a come on. It's a worth a fourteen ninety nine gamble. Yeah, yeah, it, is. Uh, it really is. <laughs> support, support, Mike. Whatever Michael Ritzy is up to, it's got to be good. Yeah. And uh, if you're listening to this, Michael, I, the world is wrong. You should have, you know, you should have been a contender. And except you, you are, you are a contender and a contender for our love. And, uh, and, you know, we say this to everyone at the end of the show, but today, let's just say it's especially for you, Michael, wherever you are, the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you. Hello. Gosh, I hope that wasn't about us. Your wife leaving? Amanda. Did she find out about us? Because I didn't tell her, I swear. Look, I want you to understand something. You and me, we're over. Over what? We're just, we're completely different, okay? As in opposites attract. Look, I just, I made a mistake and that's all there is to it. You mean by marrying her? Stop calling me. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.